0: Well, if you want to head back to Genesis chapter 12, because that's where we're going to be spending our time. And if you um, have, you know, would like to read ahead, we're looking at this series of Abram's life um, from Genesis 12 to 25. You might want to, during the week, read ahead as well. Um, we'll cover chapters 13 and 14 next week. Um, but let's um, pray and then let's have a look at Abram, uh, Genesis chapter 12. Um, Heavenly Father, um, we thank you that we can um, read about Abram and, uh, of course, Abraham's faith in you. Lord, teach us, help us to know you and that we might trust you and your promises. Um, Help us to to believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, um, I've been on holidays, and one of the things that I do on holidays is watch movies. Uh, It's a lovely um, delight of mine. And um, in the last Batman movie, which is um, very creatively called The Batman, uh, Bruce Wayne's butler um, questions what Bruce is doing um, with his family's legacy. Um, Alfred wants Bruce to take on more responsibility at their Wayne Industries, um, and so he hassles him about that. Um, The mayor of Gotham also uh, wants to question Bruce about his family legacy as well, but she has a different take. She challenges Bruce to use his immense wealth and influence as a force of good for Gotham. Uh, When it comes to questions of leaving a legacy, uh, it's not just for the rich and famous. Um, When I conduct funerals, in preparation, I ask the family, um, what will the deceased be remembered for? What things were important to them? And I think for lots of us, we do want to leave a legacy, don't we? Or in other words, we want to make a difference. We want our lives to count for something. We might want to make a difference with the type of work that we're doing. We, we want to love our neighbour well. Uh, we want to maybe set up our children financially or our grandchildren, set them up financially, spiritually, emotionally. And as Christians, we long for more people to follow Christ. We want to see more disciples of Jesus. But the trick with wanting a legacy is that sometimes we just can't guarantee that what we do will actually last because you might be in a job and you're stuck and you can't see how actually how any of your work is actually doing any good. You may have retired and it's the, it's the silly people who come after you, isn't it, who, who ruin your work and then they forget all the good stuff that you've done. Or maybe when it comes to setting up your family, you might create the wealth, but they're the ones who are going to spend it. Will they squander it? Will they give your family a bad name? And when it comes to making disciples, I think for some of us, instead of shining as lights, maybe you've sinned, maybe it's... um, your temper is has, has gone out of control, and you've made a bad example of what it means to be a, a light for Christ. And you've tarnished the gospel amongst unbelievers. And you feel like such a failure. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be shining as a light for for this city, and yet here I am. I've lost my temper, and you know what? The unbeliever is actually right. And you feel like such a failure. And all you want to do instead of leaving a legacy is you want to just be quiet about following Christ. Well, as we begin to look at the life of Abram, um, we see a legacy that we can all take part in and have confidence that it will last. And today we jump into Genesis chapter 12. And if you're here and you've got no idea what happened in the first 11 chapters... Well, let me recap. God makes a beautiful world. He asks humanity to trust Him. And what does humanity do? They reject Him. But God is not done with humanity. He makes a wonderful promise that a serpent crusher will come. And He gives humanity a fresh start in the flood. But again, humanity fell. And just instead of people living forever... We're constantly hearing about death, people dying, and by the end of chapter 11, we're introduced to Abram and Sarai. Now, I think it's always tricky preaching on Abram and Sarai, because you want to say Abraham and Sarah, don't you? Okay? But that just gives the story away. Oh no, that's what I've done. Okay? He changes his name. All right? If you didn't know that, that's the plot. Okay, that's all gone. There's no surprise. But I'm going to try and stick with Abram and Sarai and see if this works. But if you catch me saying Abraham and Sarah, you know who I'm talking about? All right, some of you do. Okay, great. Well, um, one of the things that we find out in the end of chapter 11 is that Abram um, uh, has been, well, we find out that Abram has been worshipping other gods. And Sarah, or Sarai, is unable to have children and this, is, this background information then helps us to see how outrageous and unexpected the promises God makes to Abram. And so today I've broken up the sermon into three parts. We're going to look at the outrageous and unexpected promises that God has made to bless. We're going to look at Abraham's faith. But we're also going to look at Abraham's failure to believe. So let's look at the outrageous and unexpected promises of God. Why are God's promises to Abram crazy? And why are they just out of the blue? Well, first of all, out of nowhere, God calls Abram. And out of nowhere, God makes this extravagant promise to bless the world through an old man. Okay? I would have chosen someone young, fit and ready to conquer, but instead an older man and a wife, who can't have kids. Um, My cousin is uh, down in um, Bulaia having a holiday and we'll catch up with him tomorrow. And uh, in our correspondence, I asked how his holiday was. And yesterday morning, he said, Ripper weather. And at that time, it it was just sunny. And little did he know that the Ripper weather would really ripper through, wouldn't it? Did anyone... Anyone, I mean, for us who live in Wollongong, you're not, oh yeah, there's that crazy wind again. Is that right? Oh man. Um, But it is unexpected and it's outrageous, isn't it? How crazy the wind happens. I'm always thinking, surely my roof is not surviving, this one. Uh, Maybe yours hasn't, so sorry about that. Well, um, these promises are unexpected and they're just completely outrageous. Uh, Because God... Even in light of humanity's rebellion, he just wants to bless the world. And that's just crazy, isn't it? Have a look at verses 2 and 3 of the promises. I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That is ridiculous. Don't you think I'm going to bless everyone through one person? Easy. It's just crazy, isn't it? It's just outrageous. But it's also outrageous because God is going to do the heavy lifting. Do you notice how many times He says, "I will, I will bless you, I'll make your name great, I'll be a blessing, I'll bless those who bless you, I'll cut, I'll." He does the heavy lifting. They're the promises I like because I don't have to do anything. God is the one who will guarantee. God will guarantee Abram's descendants will become great, a great nation. They'll have land and through Abram, the world will be blessed. And it's outrageous because it is for the whole world and it's outrageous because out of all that humanity have done, he still wants to bless. I think it would make more sense if God said, I'm going to curse the world. But despite this, He chooses this obscure man who was worshipping other gods. Don't forget that. He plucks him out and he calls on him to become the earthly conduit of heavenly blessing. That's crazy. Why on earth does God choose Abram? Well, some might say he's the par excellence uh, when it comes to faith, maybe. Um, We do learn about faith from Abram, but we'll see later on that we also learn about his failure. Why does God choose Abram? Why does God choose any of us? It's nothing to do with us. It's all to do with God's grace and His kindness. And underlying all that, God is committed to sinful, flawed humanity, which is crazy, isn't it? He's committed to sinful human beings. He wants to bless the world that he, that he made. And even when we stuff it up, it doesn't dampen his original intentions. He, he wants to go to great lengths. And God is going to guarantee it. That is the crazy thing. He'll guarantee it even if he has to work with flawed and flaky humanity. You know, sometimes your kids might, when they're super young, want to help you with jobs around the house and you know that really they're not going to do anything right they might sweep and then just leave it or sweep it somewhere that you don't know where it is and then you find out later on and then you have to clean it up um it's it's like god is working with sinful flawed humans and that's crazy that he wants to do that he wants to work with us and he wants to work with abram so um We will also see that Abram is flaky and flawed, but there is something humanly impressive about Abram in his faith. So let's have a look at that. We'll look at Abraham's faith and belief, and then we'll move on to Abraham's failure. Um, Abraham's belief is simple and it's refreshing, and it may look a bit naive because God just calls him. And as we read Genesis 12, what does Abram do? He trusts and obeys. That's it. It's not complicated. He does. Maybe he does a few of the sums in his head, You know, calculating the costs and benefits, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, maybe he's quick at maths, or maybe he doesn't care about maths, uh, but he identifies that what God is asking him to give up, he'll benefit. So have a look at verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, um, we think Abram's got nothing, but he actually has something. He's got a home, he belongs to a people, and he I suspect when it talks about his father's household, he has an inheritance. So he's got all those three things. But God is calling him to leave those things, to give that up, and go to a new land, have his own people, and a great name. So off the calculations go. And verse 4, here's the uh, the answer to the equation. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. He simply obeys, packs up his stuff, leaves Haran, and heads to the land God promises to show him. He simply cuts ties with his country, his people and his father's household, foregoing his inheritance. He gives up what he already has. And when he arrives at the land, he might be thinking, have I gotten myself into some problems? Because look, um, because it's occupied by the Canaanites. There's already people there. But God kindly reaffirms his promise. Verse 7. Have a look at verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. So we notice Abram's response. And I just want to point out again God's grace. God reaffirms his promise. He reassures Abram not to worry. And let's take a note of Abram's response. Abram simply trusts God and worships him. That's it. That's it. Trust is to rely on God and his promises. That's it. That's what faith is. That's what believing's about. It's just simply to trust in the promises of God. And what does Abram do? It, it's not just just trusting, it leads to worship. God is worthy of his worship. He's a good God, a gracious God. And this is all when Abram has received nothing he can grab onto. There's no descendants. There's no. How do you grab onto a great name, or how do you grab onto? There's there's nothing tangible. Even the land is not his yet. It's his offspring's. He's got nothing to show for it. He's just got words, and they happen to be good words, God's words. But they're just words, aren't they? And he receives and accepts God's promises, and he builds an altar. And the altar represents not only sacrifice, but worship. This is how he is worshipping God. And so it's remarkable. Abram simply hears, trusts, obeys. Hear, trust, obeying. And the obeying is about his worship. And he simply just goes on a promise that God has made to him. He's forsaken his home, his people, his inheritance, trusting God's promise for a new home, a new family and a new inheritance. Um, Now you might be thinking, well, yes, that is impressive, but Liam, if you look at the other bits of the Bible, we know that faith is a gift of God and that's true. And that's a beautiful truth of God's grace. But what we see from Abram also shows us that, humanly speaking, you don't need much information to commit to God. You just need His Word. That's all you need to simply trust Him, is the bare bones of a promise. And for Abram, God's promise uh, of of a great nation, a great name, being a blessing to the world, is all that he needed. You don't have to have perfect knowledge to trust God. You don't need to know everything about God to trust Him. But of course, we have it way better than Abram because we have Jesus. And Jesus um, shows us that if you're on the fence, Jesus is going to hopefully convince you to get off that fence and either trust him or reject him. And because Jesus, he left his home, didn't he? He traveled down to earth. He gave up his inheritance. He traveled down into the grave. And he did all that so that we can have the assurance of a new home, a new family, and a new inheritance. He did this to bless the world. Jesus has made significant moves to guarantee these promises. And so we have even greater reason and assurance to trust God's promises because of Jesus. So when Jesus calls you to trust and obey him, to give up seeking a home in this fallen earth... When he asks you to prioritize him over your family, to be generous with what you have because you have a greater inheritance, we can see in Jesus God's promises are being fulfilled and we can trust and obey him. When he tells you to take up your cross, you can trust and worship him. You don't need to know everything about God. You don't need to know everything about Jesus, but what you have you can commit to, and the important thing is that you do commit. So, as much as Abram is a model for faith, he's also a model of faith. Uh, I, I did i pinched that off someone. Okay, so don't think if you think that was lame, then just blame that person. If you know, that was awesome, then yeah, I, I pinched it. So you can credit me. But we usually think of Abram as a, a model of faith. But in fact, more, I think he's probably a muddle of faith, to be honest. And we see that in his failure in the second half of Genesis chapter 12. And this is the last section. I hope that as we look at this last section, you'll be both horrified and humbled. Horrified and humbled at Abram's failure to believe. Um we see his failure to believe God's promises leads to some really bad behaviour. His unbelief exposes his flawed and selfish decision-making. And we see how poorly he treats his wife. But initially, we might be a bit more sympathetic because the land that God has called him to has a problem. There's no food. Verse 10, Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Uh, We might be thinking, why has God brought him to such a land? This seems crazy. Why is there now a a food shortage? Can God really take care of his followers? And they're good questions. And I suspect they're the questions that possibly Abram was thinking. But rather than trust the promises that God had given him, Abram says, I'm going to take this into my own hands. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to solve this. I'm going to take care of this food situation. We're going to Egypt. And if you know the Bible, you know going to Egypt is never a good thing. Okay? Because, yeah, all right, going to Egypt is never a good thing. And we see Abraham's, Abraham's failure to believe God. And underlying this failure to believe God is fear. We see that quite clearly. Abraham's faith gives way to his fear." And before they go through customs on the Egypt border, you know, before, you know how you do, you've got to show your passport and declare your goods and that sort of stuff. He's, you know, the, he's talking to his wife, Sarai, and he says to Sarai, verse 12, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I'll be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. Now, husbands, I'm sure your wife has gotten you into trouble because of her beauty, just like Abram here. I hope you didn't do that. We're just like, you know, we're brother and sister type of thing. Yeah, I think some of our problems might be that people think we're brother and sister and that's a different issue. Okay, so just ignore that. Um, but the point here is that Abram puts his wife's life in jeopardy for his own sake. He wants to preserve his life. He is happy for Sarai to come into such incredible danger. Now, technically, it's true. Sarai is actually Abram's half-sister. And maybe he was comforted when Sarai is taken into, Egypt, into the Egyptian palace thinking oh it's okay it's okay because she is technically my sister my half sister uh, so but (laughs) we 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 read it we think this is wrong isn't it this is absolutely deceptive one of the other movies i watched um which i recommend if you you don't want to take it too seriously is um the honest thief um it's a liam neeson film and uh, uh, Tom Dolan is the thief, and he has been robbing banks for the past nine years, uh, and he doesn't use the money, but he robs banks. Um, there's a bit more of, of the backstory to that. I won't spoil it for you. And he's been doing that for nine years, but then he meets a woman named Annie, and he realises he needs to come clean. He needs to turn himself in. But he doesn't actually tell Annie of what he's been doing for the past nine years. And so Annie finds out in the in the probably the worst possible way. And he says to him, You've been lying to me this whole time. And Tom replies, I didn't lie, Annie. I just didn't tell you certain things. And then you kinda go, You rat bag You know? Alright, technically he didn't lie, but he really did lie. He deceived Annie. And Abraham has lied and he's deceived Pharaoh. And the worst thing is he's using Sarai. Verse 13, Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake. Oh man, are you horrified? I hope you're horrified because that is absolutely rubbish, don't you reckon? And sadly, it actually comes true for Abram. It does indeed go well for Abram. He was already a rich man. And what happens? His deceit makes him richer. Verse 16 um, tells us that he receives animals and servants. And so not only is he failed big time as a husband, but he's also failed at actually being an earthly conduit of heavenly blessings. Because instead of blessing the nations, remember, God is going to bless the nations. Instead of blessing the nations like Egypt, what has He done? He's taken from the nations and He's caused curses on Pharaoh. Have a look at verse 17. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. Now, it sounds like it's blaming Sarai. Sarai, but it's it's definitely not Sarai's fault. It's Abram. It's his failure to believe. It's his failure to bless. His fear overtakes his faith. And his love for well-being and wealth has trumped his love and worship of God. And so you know Abram is truly in the wrong. And you know he's in the wrong. How do you know he's in the wrong? Well, when the Pharaoh rebukes you and he looks like the good guy in this chapter, you know he is in the wrong, don't you? When the bad guy looks better than the good guy, you know the good guy is in the wrong. Pharaoh actually comes off pretty good, don't you reckon? He's done nothing wrong. He's been very honourable and Abram has been dishonourable. Where, what do we do with this? Well, thankfully, what we need to land is that God won't let Abram jeopardize his, his promises. You see, it's, it's all up to God, doesn't he? He inflicts the curse. He steps in to make sure the promises will remain and protects Sarah. God overcomes Abram's failure to believe and behave. When the promises look like they're unravelling, God overcomes this obstacle. Now, before we look at um, how Abram responds to his failure, just two implications. Um, before we look at Abram's response to his failure, firstly, when we tell lies, and um, we do, don't we? We tell lies. Um, we tell, sometimes we tell lies out of fear. We don't want to tell the truth because we fear what people might think of us we worry that they will reject us and so if it's telling um, so we don't tell the truth to our friend we don't tell the truth to our spouse we don't tell the truth to uh, our work colleague or um, our fellow students because we're worried so next time you lie think about what is going on in your heart what do you fear What are you worried about when you lie? Because we're all going to lie. Well, we hope not to. But you've got to ask the question, what do I fear? What am I worried about? And the second thing about lying is actually, positively, if you're a follower of Christ, you've been saved not just from simply stop lying, but you've been saved to do something better. That's speak the truth in love. That's not to hold, withhold information. That's to share information in a loving way. You don't want to deceive people by withholding. You want to wisely, in love, speak the truth. That's what we're on about. We're not to deceive others. We need to give that up. We want to share the truth in love. So that's lying. That's first implication. Second implication: husbands. You knew you were going to go here. Um, husbands, Jesus laid down his life for you. You lay down your life for your bride. It's your responsibility to deny yourself and love your wife. We must turn away from using our wives and seek to serve them with our whole life. How's that going? It's a genuine question. Um, Where can you lay your life down more for your wife? And remember, what will help you to do that? Jesus laid down his life for you. Don't use your wife. Love your wife. Cherish her and, and, and lay your life down for her. Well, back to Abram, what does he do in the midst of his failure to trust God, his failure to love his wife? Well, in chapter 13, he returns. He goes back to the altar he first built. Why does he do that? Why does Abram go back to the altar where the Lord appeared to him in that place? Well, he goes back to call on the name of the Lord. He goes back to the place of sacrifice. He goes back to where he first worshipped and he goes back to the Lord God. What do you do with your failures? When you lie and you deceive others, where do you go? When you fail to love your wife, where do you go with your failure? When unbelievers act more nobly than you and more honourably than you, Where do you go as a follower of Christ? Well, it's got to be the true altar, doesn't it? It has to be the cross, the the place of sacrifice where God meets man. We look to innocent Jesus, his sacrifice, because that's the only thing that will pay the penalty of guilty sinners like you and me and Abram, thank God. We go back to the cross and we call on the Lord for forgiveness. And so we trust not only that God can forgive us, but when you look at the cross, you're also reminded that even sin isn't going to overcome God's plans. Isn't that wonderful? Sin will not stop God's plans to bless the world. So when you look at the cross and you think, oh man, the way that I blew up when I was um, on the phone or when I was talking to that person was such a bad example of what it means to follow Christ. Well, the good news is that that's not going to stop God's plans. But it's difficult, isn't it? Uh, A few Saturdays ago, I was outside the cathedral and I bumped into a man who had just moved into the area and was obviously doing some walking around, taking some pictures of the cathedral. And I got into a conversation with him. We started chatting and found out that him and his wife had a church upbringing and he then went on to say that he'd stopped attending or I think because of the bad behaviour of the people in the church. And at times like that where you think, oh man, how do, you re- how do you retrieve anything good out of that? How do you get anything good from such a situation like that? It's conversations like this where you're tempted to think, man, should we just give up making disciples? We're failed as Christ's ambassadors. We fail to be a light to our community and we're tempted to give up or withdraw. Where do you go when that is the temptation? Well, we're reminded, you've got to go to the cross, don't you? You've got to be reminded that God can overcome your failure. He did it with Abram. He'll do it with you. Yeah, when we fail, we might need to do the hard stuff, like apologizing that person that we blew up against. We might have to do the uncomfortable and hard stuff of repenting and saying sorry for the sin we've committed. We need to work to restore relationships and seek restitution. But we also need to remember that God will bless the world despite our failures. Surely that's the good news of the cross. Well, let's finish. At the start, we talked about leaving a legacy. Um, In the Batman movie, Bruce Wayne wants to leave the legacy of protecting Gotham. Now, I don't want to spoil the movie. But I think he might not get that done, okay? Don't you think? That's just, he can't guarantee that he can protect Gotham. And sometimes that's the problem with human legacies. We just can't guarantee that our, what we try and do, our differences that we make, will actually have an impact. Things don't last, sin mucks it up, and death short-circuits everything. But the thing that we can guarantee is God's legacy, A new eternal home, that's a given, God will guarantee it. A new forever family, that's a given, God will guarantee it. An unfathomable inheritance, that's a given, God will guarantee it. And even sin and death will not overcome that. God will guarantee it. And so, when you're thinking about legacy, don't forget blessing people, By showing them Jesus. Just keep at it. Keep persevering. If you fail, if you stuff up, if you muck up, God can still use it. Keep going. That's the legacy we can all jump on and participate and know that despite our failures, the whole world will be blessed. Isn't that wonderful? What a legacy. And God's plan won't be overcome. So let's keep blessing others by pointing people to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we um, praise and thank you um, that Jesus left his heavenly home in order that we might be drawn into uh, your new family and forever home. Father, we thank you that you have kept your promise that in Jesus all the world will be blessed. And so, Father, help us to trust these promises and obey you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.